And I'm the pastor here, and I am so glad that you chose to come today. We're grateful. We're grateful for so many different reasons, but mostly that we can gather together to be able to praise and to worship our amazing God. Today is a special day. We begin the God story found in the Bible, starting in Genesis and literally ending in the book of Revelation. To help us stay focused and encourage participation, I'm using the book, The Story. Some of you have picked it up already. It's out in our lobby. But pastors Max Lucado and Randy Frazee developed the approach, the format, the curriculum, and the artwork. And I am forever grateful for their guidance, their material, and their leadership. This 31-week journey through the Bible will help you, well, will help us understand God. The loving God who goes to great lengths to rescue the drowning people. People who are trying to do life without Him. The Bible is a grand narrative that tells the story of God's great love for all of humanity. The story is filled with intrigue and drama. It's filled with conflict, romance, and redemption. I hope this God actually captivates you and that you embrace His gracious offer of redemption. He offers each one of us life. He does. Freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin, and freedom from the presence of sin. And we look at that and say, what, what kind of freedom do I need? Well, every one of us have chosen, well, to live a life apart from God for the most part. And this Bible is going to be able to share with you how relentless our God is to pursuing, literally, us. There are 31 chapters in the book, and we're going to cover one chapter at a time. One chapter every week. Each of these chapters in this story literally cover a large portion of Scripture. Each week's message will include an upper story so that we understand God better, and a lower story, so that we understand, well, us better. By looking at both stories, we will see God and life better. Let's pray. Before we look at chapter 1 of the story, found in Genesis 1, all the way through Genesis 9. Let's pray. Father, we again come before you so very, very grateful that we have an opportunity to open up your word, to be able to learn about you, and to be able to understand how much you desire a relationship with each one of us. Father, the story we're going to look at today, well, my guess is just about everyone is heard. As we look at your word and we open it, we pray that you would give us fresh perspective, that you would help us understand, well, 
the beginning, why all this happened, and how this will affect us all the days of our life. We also know, God, that there are so many other churches that have already met together. Some met yesterday, and some are meeting today, and some will be meeting later on today. And we know, God, that, that there are churches that faithfully proclaim your word, that God's people come together and praise you and honor you. We are so grateful for these churches and, and your people scattered all over Lake County, all over our state and all over our country and even world. We pray even now for those folks who are downstairs who not only are learning the little ones, but are teaching the bigger ones. We are grateful for the multitude of people that you have brought together here at this church for the ministries that you have allowed us to serve in. And Father, for the opportunity we have to encourage others to follow you. Would today be something special, Lord? Would your spirit just be so very, very active today? Would my words not distract? And would you receive glory? Would you receive honor? Would you help us understand what's needed today? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, people spend a lifetime, even their lifetime, studying the oceans, the skies, and the sciences. Yet, our best minds in our world never arrive. They continually discover more and new. And we're puzzled. Why is it that we can't ever figure out all the things that happen in our earth and in our planet and our seas? For instance, right now I would say to you that there are over a hundred billion galaxies. 100 billion galaxies. Folks, not too long ago, we thought our Earth was flat. All right? And then we thought our galaxy was massive, the Milky Way. And, and we could get certain, well, telescopes. <laughs> Almost said microscopes. That would be bad. Telescopes. And then we developed more technology and we saw further and further. And we started talking in, well, light years. And we tried to figure out how massive the sky was. And all we did, as more and more technology was developed, is discover more and more galaxies. Ours is actually quite small. In the big picture, it is. There are many larger stars and many larger galaxies. We could hardly even fathom them. So here we have it. 100 billion. It's hard to even think of what a billion is. 
And we're discovering more all the time. NASA continually says, oh, well, we see this, and this is happening, and, this, and we're going this direction. So I'm fascinated with the universe. I'm fascinated with learning about the skies. In college, one of the classes that I took, I needed to take what this class was called astronomy. And the truth was, I just wanted to understand a little bit more of the skies. Well, what I found out, astronomy is pretty, like, it's not just about constellations. It's about physics. And after about two classes, I realized I was totally out of my league. I had no clue. All I did was want to come in there and learn about the sky. And all I found out was our God was amazing. Way bigger way more complicated than I could even begin to think. So I was awestruck. Not with the discoveries. I sort of expect that now. What I'm awestruck with is God. God, how did you do all this? How is it possible that there's 100 billion galaxies and... There's probably more. We just don't have the capacity to see them. Whoa! But it wasn't always this way. In the beginning, God came to a place that was formless, empty, and dark. A place void, in many of your translations, of any kind of matter. The story of the Bible begins with a big bang. Yeah. This bang, though, didn't happen by accident. It was orchestrated by God. In the first two chapters of Genesis, the author talks about creation. But creation literally is only a subplot of this book. If you would, you can take your Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 1. Now, this is the greatest of all of our studies because this is the easiest of all books to find. Whether it's a tablet or whether it's your Bible, just go to the front, right there in the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you look over in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10, God is talking to Jesus and he says this, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. God gave us all of the creation scoop in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And if you're following along with us, and if you have the story, um, you'll already have read this. If for some reason you don't want to buy the book and you don't want to do that, we're good, but in the back of your bulletins, you will see not only some discussion questions, which we'll chat about in a little bit, but you will see what the Scripture is for today and what the Scripture literally, what we're going to cover next week. So you'll be able to read ahead, you'll be able to follow along, and you'll be able to participate perhaps just a little bit better. But after God began his creation work, he created light, then darkness, 
than the water and sky and land and sun and moon and stars and fish and birds and animals and eventually man. You may not know this, but literally Genesis helps us understand the greatest love story of all time. The key point of Genesis is that God loved us and wanted to be with us. So we created an environment to experience community. Beautiful, perfect community with us. God came up with a perfect plan. In fact, you're going to hear me use that word often today. A perfect plan. He created a perfect paradise. He created a man and a woman in his image and then decided to do life with them. God first creates a perfect universe and then perfectly forms objects all by the word of his mouth. All from nothing. It's not like putting a model together and you have all these different pieces and you start assembling. It is beginning with nothing. Once he does all of this creation, he steps back and he says, this is good. If you mark your Bibles, you're going to see that statement over and over and over again in those first two chapters. And I encourage you, whether it's the book or your Bible, mark it up as things jump out at you. But honestly, this is good. Could that be perhaps the greatest understatement of the world? All of what you and I enjoy... We look out. How, how do seeds carry all the DNA to form a, a fir tree or an aspen? How, how does that work? Who, who tells all the trees to start changing colors? Oh, Rick, it's because of the chlorophyll. I, I, no! Who does that? Who makes sure that the earth doesn't get too close to the sun or too far away from the sun. Because just inches would make a difference. Who tells the earth to spin a certain way at a certain time? Are you serious? What about the human body? We look at, I'm so grateful for doctors. But as they study, they, they see the intricacy all the different cells, how they heal, how they mend. And at times they, well, go crazy, and we call that cancer. But the body, we look at this, and we are amazed at God. And he said, this is good. It is good. It's amazing you look at nature, you look at the sky, you look at some of the shots we now have under the sea. You say, God, how did you do that? How did you get those colors? How did you get that eyeball configuration? How come those fins are so big and those are so... How come that skin is so slimy? 
Now, I'm not talking about people, in case you didn't understand that, okay? Creatures. Look at the birds. How do those birds fly? I mean, seriously. Now, you can explain it, but that is pretty cool. They know how to take off. They know when to land. They know how to put their little feet out exactly at the right time. You know? How do they do everything without arms? Yeah, you know, I mean, come on. All those things. And the colors. Could any of us even paint what a goldfinch looks like? Oh, Rick, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, you're, you might be good. I'm pretty sure it's not going to look like God's goldfinch. Okay. So we take pictures. I'm going to capture the sunset. I'm going to capture the skies. I'm going to... Ca- and we all do it. And then we look at our camera and we go, well, wait, my, my exposure wasn't right because this really looked a lot better in life. And so some of us finally say, oh, forget the camera. Just sit down and enjoy the sunset. And so this is what God says. This is good. Oh, really, God? Yes, this is good. But it is all good. But listen to this. The pride and joy of God's handiwork is you and me. It was the creation of man and woman. Although we think all these things are spectacular, and they are. He created us. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created Adam first. And Eve was formed out of his rib to, well, become the perfect couple. The perfect world, if you look at it, was incomplete without Adam and Eve. So God created the first couple, and a God-man relationship was established. Love and communication was shared. This was the perfect prologue to the entire history of God and mankind. God's perfect plan, listen to this, was to spend eternity in a perfect environment, enjoying perfect fellowship of a people that he created perfectly. I'm not sure if you get this. But his creation, especially man, brought him great pleasure. This is mind-boggling. The skies are mind-boggling, but the creator, the God of gods, says, I am going to create man and woman 
so that I might have a relationship with them. And I'm going to put them in the best spot. And we are going to hang out forever. Oh. We ask why. Uh, if you're honest, you ask why. Because we know things didn't work out well. Did they? I, I mean, they didn't. So some of you say, well, why would God do this? Well, as I look around, I think there's a lot of parents around. I do. And I think actually parents get it. Let me paint this picture. There comes a day when couples want to share their lives. Well, with somebody special. And so what they do is they try to prepare a perfect environment. And I know that there's some couples that struggle with infertility, and I'm not trying to make fun of this at all. But I know this is that as all things come together, oftentimes a little baby is formed. And one of the greatest news, especially that first little baby, is, is well, I mean, now even there, there's something, you know, people have parties to tell you not only they're pregnant, but what gender, you know, you're, you're going to have. You know, some of you that have, you know, 10 or 12 kids, you're just grateful, you know, that the little baby's alive, healthy, and kicking by the time, you know, number 12 comes, and you're just grateful for boy or girl, you know. But in the beginning, there's some, whoa, there's some real excitement. And what happens, you can always tell when someone's first baby's coming because they make a big deal out of the room. They make a big deal out of, well, just about everything, all right? And you're, and some of the seasoned parents or grandparents are going, really? We have to, how many times do we have to wash our hands before we touch this little one? I mean, really, isn't there something about like building up immunity somewhere in this, you know, situation? Not again. I know some of you are very clean, and that's good because you don't want germs. But all I'm saying is that we do everything we can. We anticipate this arrival. And, and then the little one comes and you, well, you enjoy the company for the most part. Well, maybe not so much really early. But as they grow up, they start to talk. They start to communicate. And you are enjoying this relationship. But as they get older, relationships take work, and our ideals seem to get tarnished, even implode. You know what? God experienced this when He created Adam and Eve. I'm not at all saying that we are perfect parents like God was. I'm not saying we always make right choices. I, I get that, okay? But realistically, God put Adam and Eve in the most perfect of all environments. More beauty than you could even imagine. The food abundant, 
all healthy, peace, no conflict. This was paradise. So what happened? What happened? So many parents say the same thing. I gave my son strength, I, I mean food, and provided for him, and an education. I, I gave my, and I gave, and I gave, and there's a certain time. Maybe it's around 12. Maybe it's around 16. Maybe it's around 19. You may lose your son for two or three or five days or five years. Maybe you lose him forever. Doesn't like how the parents kind of, well, developed or, or, or gave him the freedom or whatever the reason. And your heart is broken. Especially if you're a godly mom and dad and you desire deeply that they would fall in love with God, fall in love with a spouse that loves God, fall in love with His church, fall in, and you just are praying these things. And sometimes it doesn't happen because 18-year-olds know more than anything in the whole world. Did you know that? They are so smart. They are brilliant. They know how to spend money. They know about relationships. They know just about everything. And sometimes we act the same way with God. God really... You're the creator, but <laughs> I know what's best. I do. God, God you want me to do this? <laughs> That's old-fashioned, God. I, I'm Rick. Do you understand how brilliant I am? Oh, my word, God. This is absolutely ridiculous to be thinking like you know more than me. Now, parents, we look back and say, why would you buy that car? Why would you date that girl? Why would you gate that class? Why? And we just... Bah, 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 bah. And God is not so different. And there's patterns here. But freedom for Adam and Eve turned to slavery. Well, let me explain. God gave them a choice. Do life with me. I've given you a perfect environment. I am an amazing dad. Do life with me. Just do what I ask you to do. You've got all this. This is paradise. You'll enjoy life like no other person could possibly enjoy life. But literally, God said this, there are two trees which produce forbidden fruit. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat, very clear, not pick, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Literally, everything will change. The relationship we have, the environment that you have, you will die. Now, I don't know, and the scriptures aren't clear, how much time has passed before the serpent literally got through to Eve. I'm pretty sure the serpent tried before this. I don't think that all of a sudden Eve was walking through the garden, walked right past the tree of 
good and evil. And all of a sudden, the very first time, the serpent's little head sticks out. You know, my guess is this might have been the millionth time. I don't know. And we have no idea. But this time, this time, she listened. Adam and Eve ignored God. They saw the fruit was good. Well, good in their eyes. And they ate it. Immediately their DNA changed. The good they had now was joined with evil. Their eyes were opened and the disease of selfishness was born. And we call this sin. Now listen to this. Man chose what he or she thought was best. Isn't that what 18 year olds do? Isn't that what we do? Man chose knowingly to live apart from God and knew that the relationship would change and would be broken. Authentic love and community always require two parties to agree. I guess the question is, why did Jesus put, or why did God put those trees in there? Well, because if his creations were going to totally love God, they needed to choose to love God. Well, it looked like God's perfect plan was thwarted. The relationship that God had envisioned is now broken, forcing God to ban Adam and Eve from the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he was made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Oh, you know, we got got to look at this, and we're trying to put this in perspective, and every one of us have sin in certain categories, don't we? And most of us, especially if we've just read this, are saying, hey, this is a little harsh. Come on. They ate an apple or a banana or an orange, whatever the fruit was. I mean, don't we all mess up sometimes? You know what? If we say that, I just want you to know, that's probably not a correct perspective of sin. It isn't. Sin is horrific. Anytime we disobey, whether it's a little white lie, which is a joke, it's an abomination to God, or a big black lie. I I don't know if white or... I don't know. I know this, is that every sin breaks fellowship with God and breaks our ideal. Every time we sin, we are literally looking up at God and saying, God... You made a mistake. I am God. I am smarter. I am. I do not have to listen to you. We look back at Adam and Eve and say, how could you? 
if we're honest, how could we think we're smarter than God? So it wasn't harsh because the garden was a perfect environment where God enjoyed a perfect relationship, but man chose to sin and sin changed perfect. Yet, and here's what's amazing. God still loved and desired to do life with man even in a broken world. This is the story that we're going to look at throughout the whole Bible. God loves and offers life even in a broken world now but eventually in a perfect world later. Man has a choice. Even now, they can choose life with God, which is life. All the way through the Bible, we're going to have example after example after example. Choose life and live. Choose rebellion and die. Oh, well, let's see how Adam and Eve's choices worked out for them. Jealousy, hate, and murder quickly happens. Two of the sons get in a major fight, and Cain kills Abel. And this escalates to a place where the world is unbelievably sinful. In Genesis chapter 6, Starting in verse 5. Genesis 6, starting in verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. That is highlighted in my Bible. I break God's heart. Oh. And the Lord said, I will wipe out this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Oh, and then verse 11. Now the Lord saw the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all the corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. The fruit of rebellion is violence. And I will wipe them all out. Does that hit you that God regretted making man? But God chooses a righteous man to reboot. God's going to try a different way. God's going to continue to work on this and try to, again, not make a perfect environment, but a newer environment. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, the scriptures say this, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at that time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. 
We don't know how many people were on the planet at this moment. We don't. But there was one guy, one, one person who is righteous. And the word righteous, may, we may look at a little bit hoity-toity, but righteous just means they listened to God, that they obeyed God. And in fact, Noah listens to God. If you read through that text, he did everything. The scriptures say that God commanded. It mentions that at least three times in our text. Noah just listened. God said, do this, I'm going to do it. God said, build a boat. Really? Yeah, build a boat. It's going to be a pretty big boat. It's going to be the length of a football field and a half. It's going to be 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. I want you to build the boat, and then when it's time, I want you to gather all of your family. I want you to gather all the livestock. I want you to gather all the supplies, whatever they eat. And I want you to go into the boat. Okay. We can make fun of this all we want. And I'm sure Noah was made fun of. But the truth is, God asked Noah to do something that was so unbelievably goofy. They didn't even have rain up to this moment. So I'm just going to build a boat here, a really, really big boat. And it's not going to take a day or two. In fact, Noah was told that he had Ham, Sham, and Jepheth, his three boys, at 500 years old. They lived a little longer back then, folks. And he entered the ark at 600 years old. So I don't really know how long. I mean, there's all kinds of theories on how long it took him to build the boat. I'm telling you this. It, it took a long time to build that boat. It did. God then, once all the people are in, shuts the door. It rains for 40 days and nights, and they float. After about a year, rain started, and about a year later, the water subsides and they are released, basically starting over again with this righteous family. Well, as you read, it didn't take long. The same cycle of selfishness and rebellion against the Creator happens. We soon realize this, that mankind is selfish. Mankind is deceived by the enemy and that they think they can live life apart from God. Say, oh no, my neighbor does, I don't. Every time we sin, every time we justify Anytime, what we are saying is that I can live my life without God. Think of that. So there isn't a small sin. There isn't. Because all you're saying is, I can do it without God. And you're going to see all the way through the scriptures, every time someone tries to live life without God, it doesn't go well. You see, what we're learning very, very early is that the solution to restoring mankind to any kind of relationship 
that Adam and Eve had with God in the garden will never be found in us. We will not be able to do it. Now here's what's cool. From this point in the story until the final chapter of the Bible, we will see God's single passion unfolding. One story at a time. And this is it. He wants to give us an opportunity to return to the garden. That's what he wants. I've shared with you that each week we're going to have a little bit of an upper story and a lower story. The upper story about who God is. And and there are some things that just shouted to me. First of all, my God is gracious and merciful and I will never understand Him. I won't. I'm so grateful He's gracious and merciful, but I will not get Him totally. So that's part of looking forward to eternity. Hey, God, I'm so blinded. I'm so blurred. I'm so, it's foggy. Blow that all away. I just want to see you. I do. Secondly, God desires a relationship with us. That should absolutely blow you away. And if there's anybody sitting here under this roof, that doesn't understand how much God loves you and desires a relationship with you. And the only way that can happen is if we, well, take Jesus as our Savior who died in our place. And lastly, God judges sin. Oh God, he, you know, I mean, he's got to lighten up a, no. God is holy. And God is perfect. And God knows how He created us. And God says, if you want to live abundantly, listen to me. We've all seen it in others. And sadly, we probably have all experienced it ourselves. When we choose to live life apart from God. The lower story. You know what? The enemy is going to be continually relentless and ruthless in trying to deceive you. The enemy's strategy is exactly the same. Hey, if you disobey God, it's okay. Hey, that fruit looks good. Take it and eat it. You don't have to listen to God. You you know what? They're old fogies in that Old Testament and that Bible. Really, you live the way you think you ought to live. That's freedom. No. Sin always means death and always brings awful consequences. You know, as a youth pastor and especially working with senior high students, I don't know if there was a more consistent message that I was able to share. But as I um, changed roles and began to pastor adults. Message still didn't change. It didn't. Sin always means death and always 
always brings awful consequences. Thirdly, God partners with the righteous. One guy, Noah, he says, I want to I do life with you, even in this broken world. I'm going to ask you, when you partner with me, to do some crazy things, things that are unbelievable. But just listen to me. You're going to be in for the ride of your life. It's so cool. And then although we didn't read at the very end, when Noah finally gets out on the land, when we see God work, we worship. We can come each Sunday or we can worship any way we want. And, and okay, hey, it's a worship time and, and therefore we're going to stand and worship. But you know what God desires? Because there's a lot of those places in the Bible that just worship happens and God says, I, I don't like your worship. I don't. I want people to come and love and adore me because our hearts are full. Noah was so grateful. A natural and normal response was for him to build an altar and worship. I worship you, God. You know, each week at on the end of your bulletin, as I said, uh, there's going to be some discussion questions. And honestly, we hope that you use those, whether you're in a small group, whether you're going home, you know, in your car, whether it's around a meal. Um, and, and hopefully, again, as a congregation, as we continually just focus on this story, there'll be things that we can talk about. If you need other resources, we'd love to encourage you and, and help you. We actually have young children's resources and families. If they need some of those things, we want to be able to encourage you to do that. We also want to encourage you, whether you've gotten the book or not, and, and maybe the books are all sold out already. Again, we, we keep replenishing them and we'll get some more next week or, or whatever if we need to. But you can read ahead. The text is there. And I would encourage you to do it. You will get more out of our stories if you do that. And more than that, I just hope over and over again that we become more of a people that have a richer and richer relationship with God. And that we understand how beautiful, how wonderful that garden experience is. And you can have that now in a broken world because our God is gracious. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for... Um, I guess, relentlessly pursuing us. Uh, we don't get it. We get, we're really hard on Adam and Eve. And we just feel again that, hey, we would have done better. We would have done differently. We would have just enjoyed you, God. But the truth is that the enemy is relentless. And the enemy wants us to, well... have a broken relationship with you. God, please, give us eyes to see you clearly. Help us obey you, even if it's a crazy, well, request of building a boat. It doesn't make sense. 
But it made a lot of sense once the rain came. That's what I know. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.